Business Women Rock, Episode 5. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock Podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible business women. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. Welcome to the Business Women Rock Podcast. Before we get into our interview today, I just want to take a second to thank you. I have been absolutely mind blown by the amount of support and love that you have given to this show. It just keeps on putting a fire in my belly to continue bringing you really great guests and really great stories that are going to impact your business journey. So today's guest is Maxine Turner, the founder of Cuisine Unlimited Catering and Events. She founded the company in 1985. She has since been on the Inc. Magazine's list of fastest growing companies, and her company has become famous for actually doing the catering for some huge events like the 2002 Winter Olympics and the Sundance Film Festival. She is very proud that it is a family-founded and family-run company, um, but they're not the size of a family. She has 130 employees and is a $3.5 million catering company. She's a very passionate woman who loves business, loves her family, and loves to be able to share her story with other business women. So turn up the volume. You're going to love this one. Excellent. Well, Maxine, thank you so much for being here with us today. Really appreciate you taking the time. Katie, what a pleasure. Thank you for asking us. Well, I'm so excited to really get down and dirty with uh, the story of how you've built your company. So I really want to start at the beginning. How did you even get involved in the food business in the first place? You know, this certainly wasn't my, my chosen profession. I was actually in banking for many years in the division marketing for a Intermountain Bank and had the opportunity to join a Jewish women's organization in their fundraising efforts. And became head of that. for and, and so I was able for five years to be able to be a stay-at-home mom, be able to take my then three-month-old daughter with me, and really work around the schedule of uh, my two sons who were then in school. So I really did it to contribute to the family income and still meet my goal of, of being a stay-at-home mom. How did you move from that to really upping it to doing it a little bit more full-time? You know, I think that what I found was my passion. I absolutely love the hospitality industry. And um, fortunately, a good friend of mine who was connected with a private school introduced me to the headmaster, and we became head of all food services for this private school. Again, it gave me the opportunity to work within uh, the schedule of, of public schools and private schools so that I could still be that um, that mom, but also contributing to the family. And we did that for mm, five or six years before I, uh, I got this bright idea that I should have a Greek-Jewish deli in the center of Salt Lake City. That's great. And I know you grew up in a Greek family. So how did how did that kind of align right there with what you wanted to do right there in downtown Salt Lake City? You know, I think that um, with most ethnic strong ethnic backgrounds, there's a, um, a family core values that go with that. 
you know, I had my, my Jewish mother-in-law who made bagels for us every morning. My mother made all of our Greek pastries. My father was constantly there helping me, doing whatever he could. And my father-in-law helped me with our accounting. So it really became a family business in the very early stages. What was that like in those first couple of years of opening that deli? You know, I have never had anything more difficult. You know, they say that it takes five years to really get a business established, and I certainly met that same trend. Those five years, I never pulled a paycheck, and gratefully, my husband had a, had a, um, a career that really sustained us. But it was shortly after, <laughs> funny enough, that I pulled my very first paycheck. His company was sold to an out-of-state firm, and they closed their offices here in Salt Lake City. So that is when Marv joined the operation, and uh, being that he has an accounting background, he then took over all of the accounting functions for uh, both the deli and the catering. You know, it was Marv and I and a core of about a half a dozen employees. And what were your what were some of your biggest challenges that you had back then? You mentioned those first five years were just really challenging. What were some of the challenges that you did have, and how did you overcome them? You know, I think that very much like all small businesses, we go in with these fabulous ideas, but we forget that we need to know how to read a uh, a P&L, a profit and loss statement. We no- need to know how to read our book. You have to come fully prepared. Well, I think that's so true. And I think I think that's a hard one that, you know, a lot of business owners have as they're starting up is many times it's the entrepreneur with the idea and, you know, you know how to market, you know how to bring it to, you know how to bring the idea to market, but there's so much behind the scenes that has to happen in order to make the entire business as an entity really work. So that's a really great point. Absolutely. It's, it's a relationship building uh, process as well. You need to know how to work with your bank, with lawyers. You need to know really the ins and outs of operating a business. If I had known then, really, Katie, I would have been taking business classes long before I opened up my first deli. Well, and I was going to ask you that. What what did you do to excel your education then? Did you reach out to people? Did you go to classes? What did you do to, to help you figure it oh, out? Oh, great, great question. I actually formed an advisory board, and I brought in people of every walk of life. And I had an advisory board that, for the very beginning, uh, met with me once a week. If nothing else, I could offer them a great sandwich. (laughs) And we would just talk, and they would educate me. And they would um, give me advice on my next steps and how I should be able to manage my company much more effectively. It really was the saving point because there was, there was a time when I thought I was, would have to close my business. And I knew that financially that would be devastating for my family. Now, what happened? You know, you talked about those first five years really being a struggle. What happened? What was the turning point when you knew you were in it, you were going to make it, and it was going to be big? Oh, you know, I think that within within the inner core, I think you always know when it's good or when it's bad. Uh, you know, you have to listen to your to your head and your heart. And um, I think women do that so, so well. I think that when I pulled that first paycheck, when Marv joined the operation, 
I felt right there and then that we were going to make it because there was such there was such a drive between the two of us. Gratefully, I I have a husband who is so so easygoing and so positive that whenever there were times when I felt like we were in jeopardy, he was always the one who who boosted me up and vice versa. I I was kind of his reality check. And that leads me perfectly into the next series of questions, which is obviously even back then and now all these years later, you run a family business and you're very proud of that. What was it like in the beginning years working so closely with your husband? Um, and then we'll get on to what it means having your sons in the business. I think that Marvin and I balance each other out both personally and professionally very, very well. And I, I think that we found our roles very easily uh, with just our, our strengths. Marvin really took care of the behind the scenes. I took care of the clients and events. And I think that, that those groundwork, even though we never even discussed that, I think that it happened very naturally. It was much different when our sons approached us to, to become part of the company. They approached you. Actually, you. You didn't tell them that, that, was, that they were going to be set up for that? Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> even though I had, I had encouraged them in the early years, I also knew that in order for them to be happy, they needed to choose the course that they wanted for their lives. And That's I great. never pushed hard. It wasn't until after the Salt Lake Olympic Games when Marv and I were actually going to put our company up for sale when our sons approached us, and they asked if we would be interested in selling them the company. And Katie, I said no. Come on. Why did you say no? (laughs) Because I wanted them to learn from my mistakes in those early years of not knowing how to read that P&L and know what a balance sheet was all about. I wanted them to know that before they took over the reins of now a much larger company. So I, the deal was five years. They had to know every department, how it ran. They needed to be personal and upfront with their, with their banker. They need to know how to read those P&Ls. And then we would talk about it. Thirteen years later, the boys owned 25% of the company. And I'm, I'm not going to say that it was easy along the way. It never, nothing worthwhile ever is. But today I have to say we've worked out all the kinks. We had to have a much better understanding of, of I think, authority and figureheads and um, who was the decision makers. And I had to learn a tremendous amount of not only patience, but a lot about how the next generation really operates. Talk, talk to I me a little that, bit about that, because that's, you know, the kind of the school of business that you and your husband grew up in, I'm sure, is very different than, than your sons. How old are your sons? Um, our oldest one is 42. So they are really that third generation. We're now four generations operating at Cuisine. Wow. And I'll tell you, millennials, to my generation, in all honesty, there is a, you know, from the baby boomers to the millennials, there is light years in difference. 
and I had to learn. If my company was going to succeed, I had to learn how to do business their way. May not always agree, but if the end result was that we were running a successful company with fabulous events and clients were happy, ultimately the goal was all the same. We just approached it in different ways. I think that's pretty incredible. I don't think that that's a natural reaction. I think the natural reaction is you want to do your business the way you have always done it. You've grown it this way because of the way that you've always done it. So to be able to come to the table willing to kind of put the ego aside and willing to to figure out what's best for the company with all minds and vantage points available is is amazing. And I'm sure, you know, one of the biggest reasons that you've been so successful. It's probably been one of the most painful lessons I've had to learn (laughs) because I've had to let go of some of the things that I felt were too important, things like, oh, even dress code, um, all of those kind of things. It's a different generation, and they do business successfully. They just do it a different way. So in order to be able to still give and maintain our core values, but still have this young, energetic, creative generation who is now part of that workforce, you have to meet them halfway, and hopefully they'll, they'll come with you. I want to go back. You mentioned before um, kind of this, this point at which you had gotten the catering job to do the 2002 Winter Olympics. Your catering and events company has become known for sort of these big you know, well-known events like the Olympics and the Sundance Film Festival. There are a lot of a lot of women listening out there who would love to get those big contracts. So let's start at the very beginning. How did you get your very first big gig? How did you, what steps did you take to get that? You know, that's such a good question. I think we persevered. We gave a lot. We proved ourselves. I think that we started with small steps and we were, not afraid to go outside of our comfort level because there had been many times we've said yes to a project and I had not a clue how we were going to do this. But you figure that out. Not that people should take that kind of a risk in going outside of their uh, field of expertise, but they need to know where to find those answers. I've said it so many times, I don't need to have all the answers. I just need to know where to find them. So... I think like for Sundance, we started out extremely small, and we proved ourselves. We were one of a core of about six caterers who were involved. We are now um, the exclusive caterer, especially for the closing night party for 2,000 people. This would be the equivalent of a casual uh, Academy Awards. Sundance is... um, is I call it my mini Olympics that comes once a year. And it is comes at a time when traditional catering companies are slow. So it comes at a terrific time for us. And that we were willing to work with them, especially in the early the early years when they too were struggling to grow and become established. So they saw loyalty there and I think that makes a difference. When it came to things like um, catering for the Republican Convention in Minneapolis, it became it, it really came about because of contacts that we had made 
through an industry association. So you start building relationships with people who then know that they can count on you, that your, your word is your honor. And pretty soon those opportunities start coming forward. For the Olympics, it certainly was Salt Lake City that put us on the map. But for each one of the projects, whether we, you know, we were in Atlanta first and, and we were in Athens and Torino, we took a look at Beijing, but at that time the Republican um, uh, convention organizers came to us. And then it was shortly after the Vancouver Games where we actually consulted with an organization called 2010 Legacy Now for the Vancouver Olympic Games that we knew there was an opportunity, and I think maybe this is one of my passions. The United States does not have a hospitality center very much like other countries have, where they are open to the public, free of charge, but really showcasing their individual countries. And this is a first of its kind that we'll be debuting in Rio de Janeiro. And it, it gives us an opportunity as a country to, first and foremost, promote economic development, uh, travel and trade opportunities. Tourism certainly is, is a component of this in encouraging people to visit our beautiful country. Um, and in my heart of hearts, what it really I want to convey is the goodwill of the American people. Um, I think that's important that we always have a presence at these kind of events. Good luck with that. I know it's a, a big passion of yours to really build that out. And I think you're in the perfect space and, uh, you know, have the perfect contacts to be able to do that. So congratulations. Thank you. And I think that's where business owners, that, that women can see, you know, they have a business entity. Where can they take those, that core of that business and develop it into something that expands out the borders of the traditional. I never thought as a, a catering company we would be doing anything out of state, no less internationally. But when those opportunities come, you can't be afraid to take those on. But there's one thing that's really important to what you're saying. After all these years, I don't think you would be available to have this opportunity if you hadn't systemized out your business, if you hadn't brought on your sons as new stakeholders in the company to, to really manage the day-to-day. -day. And I want to bring this back to one thing. I think one of the biggest challenges that um, small business owners have is sort of getting out of their own way to let their business grow. So, you know, you've been around since 1985. What have you done to systemize your business or really to get out of the way that has allowed your business to grow so that you do have the opportunity to do new projects like this? Oh, I think that's such a great question. And I think that you've, you've really targeted the answer is that we systemized. Um, and it really was my son, Aaron, who brought in, he, set, he, he really has a tech background. And he wrote programs that have really changed the way we operate our company. I don't think that if the boys had not come into the business, I would be in the position where I am now with opportunities to do this. I think everything really happened for a reason. If I were to say that there would be anything that I would change is that I would change myself much quicker. I would not have been so dogmatic about certain things and would have given 
them the opportunity to make those changes much more readily. Maxine, what do you what do you think is your style of managing your team? You've talked about you, you know, in the beginning you had kind of a core of six people plus you and your husband, and now you've grown to about 130 team members. What has been your style of management over these years? I think I was really very old school in the in the very early years that I had only one generation away from me. Therefore, they were very uh, compliant to whatever my wishes were. And as the generations were added, I found that the next generation started questioning. And it was probably that third generation, which is, you know, just before those millennials, I started getting those questions right back to me. And It's how I reacted, whether we made progress or whether I stifled that progress. Now, I get out of the way. I watch. I I certainly do not lose control over keeping to our core, but I don't get in their way because I find that when I do, I lose them. I lose their creativity. They don't want to be in the box. They... They're much more free thinkers. They want that flexibility. I think it'll uh, time will tell what what the best style is, and it's going to be very interesting to see what the next future generations bring to the marketplace. But I think the one thing I I am definitely really taking away as a nugget from this conversation with you is that the idea of being open to change, how your company is even being run, what pro- what services you're offering, what new projects you're working on, how everything is internally systemized, the, your willingness to, to constantly change that and be open to that is what's continued to make your company, giving your company such longevity and such success. So I think that's wonderful. It wasn't an easy process, <laughs> and it really was a lot of, I, I'm, you know, there were a lot of very vocal discussions. We're Greek. You know how that goes. There were a lot of screaming matches where my sons really had to say, Mom, just listen. Listen to what we're doing. It's really funny. Since the boys have been there, we have added a rental division, a floral division, a design division. We have opened up now four cafes because they taught me I had to look at things differently. As a result of that, we have really been able to to prosper, to have gone through the last very difficult economic crisis in this country, and and we didn't feel a lot of that pain that the rest of the country did, is I think a testimony to the community of Utah and how we manage businesses here, and certainly to the credit of how our sons have systemized and looked at the vision of our company. Maxine, what do you love best about what you do? I think because, you know, this is a tough business. We only have one opportunity to do it right. I I can't make up if a wedding is not the way a bride envisions it. I can't I can't do it over. So it's got to be great the first time around. That's extremely challenging. But I think it, there, we derive such satisfaction knowing that we do it right over and over and over again. Certainly, we make our mistakes along the way, and gratefully, you know, people, people forgive us. 
but it is um, a very gratifying industry to be in. In your years and decades that you've that you've been running your company, what is probably your least favorite part about it? You're probably going to laugh at this, but it's unloading the truck. I just hate <laughs> the end of a party. It's like having to do the dishes at the end of a party that is in your home. I I really don't like that part of it. But gratefully, you know, they keep they keep it really light, and they pay a little bit more to those who do come back and unload the truck. Any particular book that you've read over the course of your entrepreneurial journey that really impacted you and your company? You know, I think there's been there's been a lot. Just recently, um, I attended a lecture given by a young man. He actually has climbed the highest peaks in the world. He just did Everest in the last few years, and this young man is blind. His name, his first name um, is Eric, and he has now co-authored a book, and it's based on Eric's story, but he relates it directly to running a business. And there was a foreword that was written that I absolutely loved, and to paraphrase it, it was, um, between the time we have a thought and we give a response, there's like a few seconds. And in that space, we make the decision as to how we're going to respond. And it's in those choices of how we respond that determines whether we're happy and whether we grow. And I took that away from the lecture and the book that he wrote. And I've tried to incorporate that into my life. So I try to stop and think before I give an answer and know how it's going to impact the person who is on the receiving end and how it's going to impact me. In this last year, that really has been my, my, you know, tried to be my words of wisdom. And speaking of words of wisdom, after all of your decades from building this business and and doing all of these entrepreneurial endeavors and and now where you're going um, with the hospitality center, What advice would you give to entrepreneurs who are just starting their companies or kind of in the throes, you know, they're in the thick of it of their companies or, you know, women who are are climbing the corporate ladder and really passionate about about the jobs and the careers that they're having? What advice would you give to our listeners? My advice would be write down the five most important things to you and put those in front of you every single day and then live them work towards them and slowly but surely they will be accomplished i think that goal setting is so vitally important and and doing what we passionately love i think that's the advice that i could really give absolutely true advice that's wonderful thank you and maxine last question i really want to ask you is what do you see for your future. Where are you going right now? What is important for Maxine Turner? Mm, Katie, I just turned 65. I'm halfway through my life. My second life, I really, truly want this U.S. Welcome Pavilion to really become the, the place that represents the United States at these events of celebration. I think it's important for our country. And I want to have within 
the downtown area of Salt Lake, I would love to have my own event location and to establish that as a, again, a place of celebration. So I, I think those are the two things that I would like to accomplish on a business level. Personally, I want to be a model for, I think, four gorgeous grandchildren that they will take away from their experiences with me the same passion that my Greek heritage taught me as a child so that they can carry on and be successful in whatever endeavors they choose for their life. Maxine, you are just totally on fire, and I really appreciate your time today. I know our listeners are have probably written down notes or uh, definitely walking away with so many lessons for them to implement in their business as, as I am walking away from this interview as well. So thank you so much for your time, for sharing your story. We really appreciate it, and, um, and we just wish you best of luck, but I, I know you don't need it. You've got plenty of passion and vision and have just done a great job of connecting yourself in the community to continue building out these opportunities for you to really have an impact on now what's in front of you is the United States and, and being represented around the world. So thank you so much for all you've done, and thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Katie, it has truly been an honor. Thank you. One of my favorite things about Maxine Turner is her constant willingness to drop her ego for the sake of the business. Over and over again in that interview, what I just kept hearing was that she was constantly willing to be wrong. She was willing to change. She was willing to be very uncomfortable because she knew that it was ultimately the best thing for the business. To see some of my favorite quotes from this interview with Maxine, as well as the book that she spoke about and takeaways that I had, please go to bizwomenrock.com and go look at the show notes for Maxine Turner. If you love what you heard, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher Radio, leave me a rating, let me know what you thought, okay? Thank you so much for being here with me today. Stay tuned for the next episode and keep on rocking. (laughs) 